In just a moment, I'm going to be reading the 95th Psalm. If you want to have your Bible open to that passage, it will also be on the screen, but I'll be making reference to it throughout the message, so you might want your own Bible uh, open in front of you. Before I do that, let's uh, just take a moment and bow and uh, reflect in silence, be in God's presence, and I'll lead us in prayer. Lord of all power and might, you are the author of every good and perfect gift. We open our hearts to your goodness. We pray that you would work in us and grow in us the fruitfulness that would honor your name and be a blessing to all of those around us and grow us to maturity in Christ. We pray today for a world that needs you. We pray for those who are lost without Christ, for those who are empty, seeking the hope that can only come through a relationship with you through your Son. We pray today for the people struggling for cleanup in Louisiana, that you would bless their lives. We pray for quake victims in Italy. We pray for all who are grieving street violence this day throughout our nation. We pray for the grieving within our own congregation and community, for the ill, for the broken, for the struggling. And Lord, week after week, we pray for those in military service that you would keep them safe. And week after week, we pray for an end to war, that you might bless refugees and homeless, immigrants, leaders of nations toward ways of peace, that injustice might be stamped out and that your kingdom might come. And mighty God, we ask now that you help us to hear your words about worship to enter into worship in a way that would move us out of our comfort zones to bring glory and honor to you. We pause and thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And now I'm going to read the 95th Psalm. If you are able, I invite you to stand and join me standing while I read aloud and you listen prayerfully and silently. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. O that today you would listen to His voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they do not regard my ways. Therefore in my anger I swore, they shall not enter my rest. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, if you are new to uh, our church or you need reminding, we are on a journey uh, we are two years into a, a season of visioning 
and discernment of God's purposes for us. And we've been uh, in now moved into this implementation phase when we're uh, using the imagery of setting sail. And each sail on the ship uh, is one of the bold, audacious dreams of what we want to become in the next five years. And this sermon series we're in right now is dealing with God-centered worship, one of those sails. And this is the uh, preferred future uh, that we have set out for ourselves, that what we want to be, uh, what we want to do in the next three to five years. And I'd like for you to read that aloud with me, please. Our preferred future is one where FBC honors God with extravagant love, seeking God's mysterious and loving presence individually and together. We love God. A lady once uh, went to a craft festival and purchased a plaque done by Needlepoint. And she brought it home and she was so proud of the quote, it said very simply, prayer changes things. She found a prominent wall in the house where she'd see it every day and be reminded of that promise. She found a hammer and a nail. She uh, got it all hung and she was so proud of it. And a couple of days later, she noticed that the plaque was gone. And she finally figured out that her husband had taken it down. She said, why did you take it down? Do you not believe in the power of prayer and how prayer changes things? He said, no, to the contrary. I know prayer changes things. I just happen to not like change. Therefore, I took it down. And you know, we're all like that, aren't we? Uh, Worship and prayer, they change things. They change us. And we don't like change. And most of us would vote for worship that comforts. Don't we all need comfort sometimes on a Sunday morning? And we would all vote for worship as inspiration and encouragement. We all need inspiring and encouraging in the kind of world we live in. But I'm not sure how many of us are all for worship that brings change, worship that invites us to leave the harbor and set sail. Worship that is risky, that invites us to step out in faith into that which we don't know. But that's what worship does. Now, the scripture in front of us, the 95th Psalm, is a beautiful psalm. And like many of the psalms, this psalm provides sort of a a, a skeleton of what all worship is. How all worship happens, no matter where it is, no matter what culture, language, or time, there are certain basics a skeleton of worship that appear in the Psalms over and over again. And I've put them on the screen to help us. Verses 1 through 3, a celebration of God's reign. God is king, verse 3 says, above all gods. And we believe that the first three verses of worship may have started in the outer court of the Gentiles at the temple. And people may have been marching in procession into the temple, reciting and singing these first three verses that celebrate the reign of God. The second part of that skeleton is an acknowledgement that God is our maker, verses 4, 5, and 6. God made the sea, God made the mountains, God made the, the depths. Verse 6, O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel. Did you notice that the worship began with people walking inside the temple, and by now, at this point, acknowledging God as maker, the people are no longer standing, they're kneeling before God the Creator. Because all worship eventually acknowledges that God made us 
Everybody here this morning has a God. That God may be someone or something other than the Lord God. But everyone has something above us that drives our lives. And it will either make you whole or it will tear your life apart. It will either set you free or it will enslave you. God is our maker. And we kneel before him as he sets us free. The third part is, in worship, we acknowledge that we are in a relationship with God. The first part of verse 7, 7a. For he is our God, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You notice how the relationship moves from something distant, God our maker, to something intimate, something personal, something closer up, that God holds us in his hand, that We are his sheep. That's a relationship of dependence and rescue. We depend upon God, and God rescues us by sending the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, to give his life for us. So you see, we're God's twice. We're God's by creation, and we're God's by recreation. We're God's by creation, and God's by redemption. He rescues us. And by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ we experience something that we cannot do for ourselves so that we're in this personal relationship with God. But then, the fourth part of worship, we don't always get to this one because after the celebration, after the praise, after bowing down and acknowledging God, our maker, after confessing that we're in this beautiful relationship of rescue with the mighty God, the fourth part of worship there's a change in mood. Between verses, verse 7a and 7b, in my Bible, there's a little space break because there's a change in mood. There's a change in tone. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts. You notice that mood change? That's the sermon, by the way, the warning. That's the exhortation. Because listening does not come easy for us, even in worship. In worship, we like to chatter. We like to keep talking and praying and singing. We don't like to be still. We don't like to be quiet in our private worship or our corporate worship. But God says we need to at some point shut our mouths and listen. A pastor was standing at the door after the service uh, greeting. He's a pastor I know. And as people were filing out, an elderly gentleman in the church shook the pastor's hand, looked at him and said, Pastor, you need to know one thing if you're going to be my pastor. Every Sunday, I want to be told everything's okay. Every Sunday, I want to be told I don't need to change. Every Sunday, I want to be told everything's okay just the way it is. And the pastor said, what if that's not true? The old gentleman gave him a cold stare and he said, then lie to me. And that's what a lot of people want. Just leave out number four, please. But worship is never complete until God is honest with us about the need to step out and to risk and to change some things, to step out in faith and to maybe leave the place different than we came in. And 
the verses that follow, verses 8 and 9 and following, are a reference to something that happened in Exodus, the 17th chapter. The people of God had been led out of Egyptian slavery. God had shown his hand miraculously, powerfully, and the people were praising God for his power, but it hadn't taken them very long. They were in the wilderness, and they were hungry, and they were thirsty, and they started complaining. Sort of a, what have you done for me lately, God, kind of mentality. And so that place was named Massah and Meribah. Massah translated testing ground, where they tested God's patience. And Meribah translated bickering valley, valley of quarreling, valley of belly aching, valley of whining about how God was not taking care of them adequately. There is this warning that comes in worship that says, remember those failures to trust? Remember that time of failure to risk believing that God is as good as God says he is? I think the application to us would be a little clearer if I would just give you a brief chronology reminder of uh, the journeys of the people of God in the Old Testament. And I want to show on the screen a reminder of timeline to help us get the picture of why this scripture is so relevant uh, to us as we think about worship as risk. The Exodus, God rescuing the Hebrew people out of Egyptian slavery, occurred between 1500 B.C. and 1250 B.C. Scholars like to fuss and argue. We don't know exact but that's basically approximately when. We're very sure because of historical records that King David assumed the throne. The United Kingdom, once the people of God had made the exodus, had wandered into wilderness, had conquered the land by 1000 B.C., David had established that golden era of Israelite history where he ruled. Kingdoms began to, uh, kings began to disobey over the centuries Uh, The people rebelled against God. There was moral decline. And by the year 586 B.C., you notice the 500-year increments? By the year 586 B.C., the people of God had been conquered by by an enemy nation, Babylon, modern-day Iraq. They had been humiliated and led out of the homeland into exile. Now, follow this closely. All during all three of those periods of time, Psalms inspired by the Holy Spirit were being written and recited and sung by the people of God. But they were loose. They were not collected in one volume. The Psalms were and are the Jewish worship hymnal. The Psalms were and are the Jewish prayer book. If I could use language that is a little more contemporary... The book of Psalms is the believer's playlist where we think of a situation with which we're struggling and we scroll with our smartphone through our playlist and we find a psalm that pertains to that particular difficulty. That's how the people of God experienced hope and encouragement from the psalms. But follow this. Most scholars believe that it was during the exile that those loose psalms began to come together in one binding 
as one book. One good thing that came out of bitter exile was the people of God away from their homeland said, we need these psalms organized, we need our playlist organized in an effective way. And so in exile, the psalms, the 150 psalms, came together. So think about this 95th psalm now. In exile, while the people are away from their homeland, they can't see God working in their lives, they are despairing, they are frightened by the future, they are full of anxiety, they recite the 95th psalm which says, remember the exodus and how God did so much for you and yet you failed to trust him to do it again. Remember the, the exodus when you failed to believe that God could work in new situations? In exile, they were reciting and singing psalms. They were worshiping, reminding them that following God is always full of risk. And we must always be willing to step out on faith. But you know, the Israelites both in the Exodus time in the United Kingdom and in exile, said, you know, I know God worked back then, but I'm just not sure God can work in this new situation that I'm in right now. I know God was miraculous then, but I'm just not sure God can do it again. And God was pleading with them, don't make the same mistake. In worship, trust me. In worship, be willing to step out and risk. Someone has said that there are really three facets to all worship, no matter how it happens or where it happens. We rehearse what God has done in the past. We rehearse what God could do in our future, setting sail, if we trust him. And that leads to ultimately, number three, what God wants to do right here, right now in my life, in your life. Every worship experience is a rehearsal of those three realities. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that I believe worship shows God how serious we are about following. Worship is a barometer of how far we want to go with God whether we're just playing games or we're willing to risk and step out and trust him to do what God can do. And did you notice the cost of not stepping out in faith? Did you notice the cost of not of worshiping without risk, worshiping just as comfort? God said, for 40 years, I loathe that generation, that one that wouldn't trust him after Exodus. They wandered around for 40 years. They were a people whose heart had gone astray. They would not pay attention to my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, they will never enter into rest. People, an entire generation was lost to the plan of God because they were not willing to trust and to risk. Do you know why we're doing this setting sail, all this work, all this 
energy, all this focus. We're not doing it for me. We're not even doing it for you, the adults here. We're doing it for the babies. We're doing it for the toddlers. We're doing it for the preschoolers and the children and the youth. Because we do not want to lose a generation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot lose any more generations to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this quote I found by Brennan Manning from his uh, wonderful book, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Let go of the good old days that never were. A regimented church you never attended. Legalistic obedience you never honored. And a sterile orthodoxy you never accepted. The old era is gone. The decisive inbreak of God has happened. Now you just read that over again silently and think about that for a moment. How we tend to imagine the past, how great it was. And how we worship that instead of trusting the God of the new. And we make an idol of the way things used to be. Read that again and think about it for just a moment. If you think that the imagine if setting sail process requires a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of effort, I want to tell you something. Being out of God's will is the most exhausting thing a church can be. Refusing to change is far more tiring than following the flow of the Spirit. Because when we refuse to change and grow intransigent, we spend all of our energy trying to keep everything buttoned down and controlled. And it makes us so tired and so... We're so exhausted from trying to accomplish in our own energy what God wants to do through us. God said, they will not enter into my rest because they've not trusted, they've not risked. Implying that when we step into God's will, that's the most restful, refreshing place to be. The center of God's will is the most refreshing, renewing place a people of God can be. God invites us to trust. In every worship service, God invites us to risk. And in every worship service, God invites us to rest. To rest in Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. We want to allow some margin, some space here for you to formulate your faith response. If you've never trusted Jesus, the rescuer, the one who's come after your soul to love you with a perfect love and to forgive you, 
You've never entered a relationship with your maker that would set you free rather than enslave you. Jesus died for you. This morning he, he wants to become real and personal in your life. If you've not trusted him during our response time, we invite you to come and share with us and we want to help you any way we can. Or right where you stand this morning, breathe an honest prayer. God, I know I'm lost. I, I turn from that. I repent. I by faith receive you into my life. There are Christians here this morning, right where you stand, maybe something needs to get taken care of in that worship as obedience, worship as trust and risk. Maybe you want to come and join this church or come uh, to have someone pray with you. Whatever it is, the altar is open. Let's just take a moment and silently be in God's presence. Amen.